No yawning. Let's do it. All right. like clapping uh, you know what it was today i was at like a jewish wedding and oh. i don't know if you've, if you've ever been to a jewish wedding there's a lot of clapping done mm. just because like people will you know they'll they'll go in a line and they'll circle around the bride and groom and then they'll do uh and then they lift them up in chairs yeah and, then, and everybody's kind of standing around clapping and it's very like it's like ritualistic clapping yeah it's kind of fun that way <laughs> <laughs> i never thought of it really before as a ritual uh, yeah. well, not ritual. It's just that it's kind of expected of you in like a kind of un. But but you're right. It has way. become kind of ritualistic in its ubiquity and uh, traditionist. Traditionists. All right. Traditionists. Well, right. But we we're here today to uh, talk about our list movies, the penultimate list episode, the next um, to last one. That is what it means. I think most people know what penultimate means. Just making sure. Hopefully. Okay. And uh, on this episode, I think we have kind of not ex- not uh, not the same movies per se, but two things I think that have these movies in common. One in the '90s, right? And two very specific takes on what it means to live in a town. Yeah. If that makes sense. Neighborhood, community. Yeah, neighborhood, community, what it means to be in a community. Um, but we're going to start with Andrew, who has um, what is looked at as one of the seminal films uh, of uh, the 90s independent film movement in America. Right, and that movie is Slacker, directed by Richard Linklater. Yeah, um, This, uh, and also the movie that made Kevin Smith want to be a director. You don't say. Yeah, he he uh, has often said like he he happened to drive out with his friend all the way from Red Bank. It's like an hour drive to New York City, but he just said like, "Huh, this movie Slacker looks kind of interesting." And when it was done, he turned to his friend and said, "I have to make a movie." Wow. Like something about it, I think just spoke to him and said, "You know, like what this guy is doing, like I could do this." Which I think... maybe that was ambitious on Kevin Smith's part, but there's something about I think the voice of this movie that must have spoken to him and probably yeah. spoken to other people. If I were to guess, if there's one thing really any influence, it was I mean Kevin Smith. I mean this this film Slacker. It takes place in the city of Boston. Yes, and it's it essentially has no plot. No, it moves from person to person. Like it starts out with a man who gets off a bus, a very young man, which played by Richard Linklater. Oh, okay. That's actually I, I, him. I knew he probably had to be in this film somewhere. Yeah, he he. Got, I guess he put himself in at the start to get it out of the way. Right. So he gets off a bus and gets into a taxi in Austin, Texas, and he starts talking to the cab driver, and it's like a conversation about all the different things that could have happened just now if he had met someone else at the bus stop, or if he had just decided to walk, or if he didn't take the bus and went by some other route right and but then it, it doesn't stay with him uh he the he gets out of the cab there's somebody who's been run over on the road the camera kind of pulls back and then follows someone else who was there at the scene of the crime right and then it'll go on to and like that someone else will enter the scene we'll lose track of the first person we were and then we'll go on to someone else it's plotless but it still follows uh a, just it goes 
I, I, I hesitate even to say characters because we barely get to know any of these people who they are. They're we portraits. just hear th- yeah, we just hear them talk about <laughs> whatever's going on in their lives. And apparently lots of lots of stuff is going on and nothing is going on. Yeah, it's it's a lot some of it's pretty surreal. Uh a lot of it feels like I, I think that part of it also has to do with at the at that time in Austin uh, there's still a little bit of it today, but back in like the late 80s and early 90s, Austin was weird. It mm. was very much like a hippie city. You had, uh, you know, people who would just go and smoke weed everywhere and have all these philosophical discussions and stuff. And yeah. University of Texas was this place where it was super liberal and free thinking, which sometimes can lead off into kind of crazy directions, which yeah. you see a couple moments in here. I'm wondering if... Um, because you just watched this uh, this other movie, if you saw a connection with uh, the Phantom of Liberty, not the Phantom of Liberty, although the, it's structurally both films are the same, but I did see a lot of similarities with other films, okay. some of which you had just shown me. Oh yeah, I which are on the list. Uh, there are things like at the very end, there's a car with a megaphone. Which brings me to Nashville. That, that's oh, very yeah. Su- that's I'm, very- I'm sure that must because I I know Linklater uh, from seeing some interviews with him. He's a huge Altman fan. Right, uh, but there are other things like it kind of brings to mind "Do the Right Thing." Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it brings to mind uh, other films like uh, actually "My Own Private Idaho" and "After Hours." And the reason huh. I, I my own I, private Idaho and the reason I bring this uh, I, I talk about it this way is because this film. Slacker yeah. seems to be about a, a time and a place. Yeah. Uh, maybe even American graffiti to a certain extent. It's like a time and a place that's very unique in a community of people that is somewhat isolated from the rest of the world. Not as, you know, geographically or not socially, but it's a very unique place where di- where a very distinct group of people gather and yeah. form and nashville is kind of like that because nashville is you know a country music town all these people who are they are country music stars they are in a sense isolated from the rest of america and yeah. it follows their life yeah and I they mean, have a very distinct point of view depending upon how they live yeah you make an interesting point about nashville i didn't really you know what it is about nashville it's that with nashville yeah you have a large assortment of characters but you do go back to them yeah, Here, Th- those are those are all very different. concrete people, very concrete characters with names and 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 story yeah. arcs. Yeah, you may even get emotionally <laughs> yeah. invested in him. But Here, but still, it's a very yeah. it's it's about that those people, not just those characters, but it's about uh, the those that type of people uh, the, in yeah. in a very specific place and time. The way I re- the way I, re- I when I was watching the movie again, I and I'd, I'd only seen it a couple of times, uh, and it'd been a while since I'd seen it. This movie, it kind of felt like going into a candy store, and you you try all sorts of different things, and and all the candy stick. and all the candy tastes weird. <laughs> Some of it has that flavor of bong water and uh, <laughs> and like JFK conspiracies and, uh, and oh 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 you know me I've just been working on my Kennedy assassination. <laughs> Well, you know about that guy that was on the 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 bridge on Daly Plaza. You know, you know his name. Uh, yeah, I don't really know his name. I love that scene. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of it's like lots of like shards kind of come out at you when you watch this movie. Yeah, all these different impressions, and sometimes it might be a scene that lasts only less than a minute, 
Like, I think that there's there's one point where this woman gets caught for, like, stealing from a store. Uh, and, like, the guy comes out and tries to bring her back in. That's a pretty real moment. Yeah. I mean, again, it's life's little moments. In a weird way, it also makes me think a little bit of... And I know you didn't watch this show, but also of uh, the show Louie. I've seen one episode. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of little moments like that, which, again, it's, you know, what you call in art, uh, impressionistic than something that's more, uh, concrete. It's like you're also, uh, I don't know, like, it's, in pretentious terms, maybe the cinematic equivalent of, uh, of, like, a Jackson Pollock painting or something. Hmm. That's an interesting way of putting it. Maybe that's not, maybe Pollock was impressionistic, but, you know, it's like... In terms of composition, yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, I mean, what are some of the... There are a lot of things that kind of stuck out to me watching it again. Um, there are... Th- the thing that stuck out to me the most... Like, if there's one thing I could latch on to yeah. that I think really is important about this film is there... Th- the film has this very tangential connection to violence. Yeah. Because there, there's a lot of violent subtext here. Like, for example... Um, the old guy who catches yeah. the the guy about to try to rob him and basically is like, well, you know, you can take whatever you want. And he kind of disarms him through. Yeah, and that's nice. cool. And then you find out this guy is an anarchist. Kind of, this guy's kind of nuts. Yeah, he's like, I'm glad that guy shot McKinley. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> he's he talking ta- about the uh, University of Texas. Yeah, he which takes is... him out to see the, the, the tower where Starkweather. Uh... No, not Starkweather. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, Charles Whitman. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, but actually, Starkweather was Badlands. That's different. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but he and you know, as soon as I see that clock tower, I realize, wait a minute, oh, that's the University of Texas. Yeah, that's and, he's, an awesome. and he's talking about how he wishes he was there. But also, there's another guy, the guy with all the TVs in his room. That was odd. Yeah, but and he's you know watching all the TVs and he shows this guy a video made yeah. by this man who, who took his his dissertation committee hostage and got taken out by the SWAT team. <laughs> and and in that and in that tape the guy says every action is a positive action even if it has a negative result. Yeah. And how prescient is that? Yeah. In for our mod, for this decade right now. Yeah. I guess also you have uh there's also a couple of times uh I think Bush is brought up which you know he was president when the movie was made mm-hmm. and you come out of Bush who also was with Reagan that was a pretty violent decade of the 80s. So even though the movie is a 90s movie, it still has that kind of residue of the 80s. Yeah. Um, but not in the sort of neon pink, uh, <laughs> like warmers and shoulder pads sort of 80s connection. Yeah, I, I'm. It's yeah. I'm glad you brought up yeah the the thing about violence because yeah there are moments even with again at the beginning the whole sort of tangential nature starts off from a woman being hit by a car right and the, the corpse is just there it's just yeah there even though austin is kind of like a hippy dippy kind of city there's an undercurrent of there's some nasty stuff going on here right and, and as i said you know it, it's pretty weird I mean, but it's it's basically uh, austin the austin that richard linkler shows us is full of young disaffected disaffected probably socially alienated young people. Yeah. And it's, I, it's, know, it's, it, it's a very specific portrait. And yet you can see a lot of things like, you know, maybe some, I don't know if 
I don't know if we walked around our town if we would see people like that. Probably not. We probably no. live in boring ass suburban or, Jersey towns. Or or maybe it's just whatever is weird in our town is normal to us. <laughs> and of course, you know, as a filmmaker, you have to keep the audience interested, especially if you're dealing with this very amorphous stream of consciousness. Yeah. That's that's the main thing. You know, going from one thing to another to another, it's almost like when you would read a Vonnegut book and he would go off on these tangents. And it's like, wait, what happened to the story? But right. who cares? These tangents are interesting. Yeah, you you do have a point there. Yeah, and I think that's what it kind of connects back to the surrealist angle, where again, even though it's not quite like Phantom of Liberty, um, you know, that also created all these different portraits to kind of make this sort of different points about culture. Right. Um, I like yeah the 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 JFK guy. It's like he's both kind. He's funny. But it's also like pathetic. You feel like a little awkward seeing that scene because like I've been in moments like that where I've been talking to somebody who's going on and on about a subject which isn't really interesting me, but is also like unnerving me. Yeah. Um, it almost had a bit of a feel of being on like a college campus at times. That feeling that I had back when I was like William Patterson, sometimes I would meet people who would go on these tangents about yeah. things, even if it's something silly like Scooby-Doo. I'm sure I've gone off on tangents like this. Yeah. Or I've heard somebody go off on tangents like this, and I've been like, yeah, man, you have a good point. That was beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> but also, there are just little odd things that are just, you know, really quirky and charming, like... Well, charming in a weird way. Like the 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 one woman who has the Madonna pap, pap smear. smear yeah. Fluid. <laughs> I just thinking about that is just kind of amusing. Yeah. Um, there's also like one guy who I know he's not Billy Bob Thornton, but he looks just like Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, the and guy in the suit. He was like an ex prisoner, and he's interviewed about uh, elections. Yeah. And yeah, what he does for a living. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's like a perfect movie. Like no. there are a couple of parts where it's just, okay, move on to the next one. But you know, it's, it almost reminds me of sometimes if I watch like an anthology movie of cartoons, mm. like when I used to watch Looney Tunes cartoons and they would have like a package movie of cartoon shorts. And even if I didn't like one or two, I know, okay, I'm about to get uh what's up. What's opera doc. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I think it, if there's anything that stands between me and true enjoyment of this film, it simply is a lack of context. Uh, where I don't where I don't understand everything about Austin in the early 90s or the late 80s. And yeah. I, and I have very little frame of reference for what exactly Richard Linklater is trying to show me. So a real so a problem I, with the movie and I I guess I can get this cuz again, I don't love the movie. I, I I think it's very good, but if you don't have that context of being there at that time in the early 90s, whether it's in Austin or somewhere else, then you're kind of watching more of this. Uh, do do you call it like a mo time in a bottle, a time uh, time capsule? In a way, I think it functions that way. I mean, I, you don't have to have lived there to to really get a feeling of what it was like. Yeah. The problem for me is that. Okay, you can show me this thing. This is what it was like, but then I don't have any sort of idea of how to decide whether this is important or not. Like uh, if, uh, I, I, I don't, it's, uh, it's hard to explain, but it's like, there's okay, no... this is the way it was. And so what does that tell me about anything else? 
Yeah. Like, why is it, like, a lot of people wondered at the time it came out, I think, um, and there's actually a book called uh, Slackers, uh, Slackers, Dykes, uh, um, um, oh, Mike, Spike, Mike, uh, Slackers and Dykes. Okay. And it's a whole book written by this guy who used to work uh, acquiring independent films, and he has a whole chapter about Slacker and how... Uh, part, like the title of the book actually the, the book the, of the movie it wasn't even about oh these guys are particularly slackers it's right. just this was sort of the moniker of a generation it's like what Mr. Strickland calls Marty McFly in Back to the Future <laughs> you, str- you slacker um, so uh, final thoughts about the movie I wish I knew more about what R- Richard Linklater was trying to get at with okay. this film because I, uh, as I said before I, it is a well-made film. Mm-hmm. It, it is intriguing. I just don't know what implications it really has for somebody else who wasn't there at the time. Hmm. Yeah, maybe you're right. Um, maybe someday. But if I did find out more, I'd probably be willing to watch it again. Time. Okay. Um, just as a side note, have you seen uh, Waking Life? Yes. Oh, okay. This so- is actually my third Linklater film. I've seen uh, Scanner Darkly. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Um, you could see sort of the how this relates a little bit to Waking Life, too, right? Well, I don't remember too much of Waking Life. Uh, back in the... Probably the... the there Matt were Rosen a whole bunch phase. of squiggly lines. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a man shouting. <coughs> that actually is a, 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 this famous guy, actually, in Austin. Uh, oh... Oh, I'm blanking on his name right now. But it doesn't yeah, matter. by the time we discuss our next film, you'll probably remember it. Okay. Um, yeah, so I have the next movie up. And uh, once again, 90s movie. Uh, more cohesive, I would say, than, uh, than And Slacker. it has John Cusack. Yeah, this movie is gross point blank. All right. Um, I, you know what's funny? When I started watching the movie, I think I realized I'd actually seen the opening of the movie before. Oh, really? Yeah. Why I didn't watch the rest of the movie, I'm not sure. It. I think it was one of those things where I was just flipping around on cable one day, and all of a sudden I stop and I see Dan Aykroyd as a hitman yes. shooting the hell out of people. Oh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd... <laughs> Dan Aykroyd makes his presence known real early in this film. <laughs> and and he's believable. Yeah. I actually bought him as this, you know, ser- psychopath. Like, yeah, psychopathic hitman. Um, now, he's just a supporting character. I think seeing him in that opening, it was just like, I, whenever I saw it, it was so long ago. I was just like, oh, this looks a little too weird. I'm going to change the channel. <laughs> I don't know if I... I don't like seeing Ray Stance as a hitman. Um, but... Uh, but basically what this movie is about, uh, you have John Cusack, who's a hitman as well. Um, he gets uh, told by uh, his handler, or I guess it's, it's his secretary. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Joan Cusack. Right. Um, that he it's time for his 10th uh, high school reunion. And, uh, of course, he doesn't really want to go because, you know, I have to interact with all these people. But at the same time, there's uh, happens to be uh, this... He has to do a job in his hometown. Yeah, he has to do a job in his hometown. So it, it kind of aligns in such a way where, well, I'm already going to be there, so I might as well go, even and he though kinda, I have a lot of bad memories. And he kind of does want to go because he because there his his ex girlfriend is there. Yeah, yeah, his ex girlfriend, uh, played by uh, Minnie Driver. Who, right. man, remember? I don't know. Do you remember when Minnie Driver was a thing? 
1990, well, 1997, she was in this, and I knew that she was in this, but she was also in Good Will Hunting. And so you have, it's funny, kind of funny, she was in two movies where you have um, the character, the main character's name, but with a twist. So you have, because in Good Will Hunting, right. Matt Damon is named Will Hunting. Yeah. Good Will Hunting. Right. Gross and here point you have blank. Gross Point Blank. Right. The character's name is Blank. Um, so, yeah, he goes back to his hometown and... Uh, Runs into a bunch of people, he yeah. knows. What's, to, to me, I, I could relate to this movie a little bit, because I went to my 10th high school reunion. Um, I, in a way, maybe I shouldn't have, but I was just kind of curious. I, I went um, to mine just last month. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's... It was kind of interesting because I, I guess the movie trades a little bit in the convention that a people stay in the town where they grew up in, which yeah. I guess is kind of true yeah. uh, in large part. Some people do leave, but also that you know the, the idea that he was that popular or that he was that known, yeah. or maybe it's not even that he was popular, just people kind of go like, oh, blank, yeah. Um, and I think that it's also the 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 running gag, which I think doesn't really get old. Is him telling people I'm a professional killer? Oh yeah! Like, oh, oh yeah, that's nice. Because uh, yeah, they think the, he's kidding with him. Yeah, the first person like he tells his girlfriend, she asks him, "Where are you? Where are you? Like, what do you do?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm 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 a professional killer." And he's like, "Oh, you get dental with that?" <laughs> yeah. Every every time he says that, somebody comes back with a with a sarcastic remark. Yeah, he. I tried that in my reunion. Oh, did you? I did. Did they, did what happen? Nah, everybody thought I was joking. Okay, good. <laughs> so I can well, I can attest to the accuracy of this film. Well, yeah. I mean, I would think yeah that 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 seemed like actually a pretty realistic portrait of what would happen. I think it is. Um, I was fortunate to have seen this before I went to my reunion. You're you're lucky that you didn't have uh, what's is his name Drax, uh, the guy from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, oh. the one who has no sense of sarcasm. Oh yes, <laughs> you know the one who goes like that. Why would like, I? Why would I draw my finger across my neck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, luckily, I had no one like that. Um, this movie is uh, well, aside from having a pretty solid cast, right? Which Alan Arkin is in it. Oh yeah. Well, I'll go into him in a second. This is just—it's full of constantly witty lines, and there's a lot of—it's very clever, but it works. Yeah. It reminded me of way also how it was weird because. It reminded me how last week, when I watched uh, Hudson Hawk, and I just thought, oh, they're just trying so hard. And seeing this movie made me realize, okay, the difference is, you can be clever, but you still have to try to have some realism. Like, yeah. if for me, if Hudson Hawk was a little bit more in the tone of Gross Point Blank, I would have liked it a lot more. If it was more grounded. A little bit. Ground me a little, give me a little bit of reality, and then I can buy when... Uh, you know, like early on, Cusack and Aykroyd, even though they're rivals and they probably want to kill each other, they have this back and forth, which almost has like a screwball comedy tone. Yeah. And you have that throughout the movie. Um, I would say that like in general, I don't know if it was a great film, uh, but it was a very fun movie. Yeah. If you know what I mean. It was, it, it, it's only aim was to be entertaining. Yeah. Hey, remember a f like a few months ago, I was talking about like the big easy uh, you mentioned it in passing, right? The Big Easy, and it was it was a film that was like half, half like a crime film, and it was half like this relationship film. Yeah, and this is kind of one of those sort of half and half things. It's a story about a hitman, but it's also a story about a man 
trying to make some sense of his life. John Cusack, like yeah. Martin Blank, he, he's been a hitman for 10 years and he's coming back to, he, he he's, he's coming back to, you know, the girlfriend he abandoned yeah. on, on the prom night. And he, you know, this sort of, this, who he thinks about quite often. He, yeah. He tells his therapist he's been dreaming about her for the last 10 years. Yeah. And she's also the, uh, the town DJ. Right. Which also allows for, uh, uh, this is just kind of like a side pleasure in a way, but I, I love the soundtrack of this movie. Oh, they use the music. Oh, so many great songs. Perfectly. My yeah. favorite use is Martin Blank. He goes back to his old house. The convenience store. It's been turned oh. into a convenience store. If you're living, let die. And Wait. Oh, sorry. Uh, let me do it because I want to say yeah, it. Please, please. He's driving up and the soundtrack is playing Live and Let Die by Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And, but he walks into the convenience store. It's a lounge music yeah, version sure of Live and Let Die. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was so brilliant. It was um, perfect. Yeah. And just so many great 90s and 80s songs. Uh, and also because it's in large, you know, the climax is set, not the climax, but the last third in large part is set at that reunion. Yeah. You get a lot of 80s songs. Uh, there's one moment that I'm not going to spoil, but, uh, 99 red balloons pops yeah. up at a key point. That was just right. <laughs> um, you know, and at that reunion, of... there's one part, like one of the people says here, hold my baby for a while. And they oh! play under pressure. Well, that scene, that might be my favorite little moment. Of yeah. the movie Because the baby's just staring at him. Yeah. And it's like the, the way baby, babies do. <laughs> no, but it's like it affects him cuz it shows the baby staring at him and Cusack staring back. Yeah. And he's like what do you want from me? <laughs> it's like what are you trying to tell me? And they're playing that last that last verse of Under Pressure. Yeah. Uh, you know, which fits so perfectly. Uh, right. Yeah. Um also, I mean, the other things again that grounded reality. I mean, he comes back home and his mother, who he hasn't seen in a long time, is in a nursing home and is right. out of her mind. His father died years ago. Right. So he doesn't really have anybody. No. So his house even, is gone. His his parents are effectively gone. Yeah. He's by himself in the world. This would make a good double bill with, um, uh, in a way, it's not quite the same movie, but because they both have John Cusack, it, it very reminded of it. Have you seen High Fidelity? Yeah. Yeah, this would be a great double bill with High Fidelity, where in that movie, it's also about this guy who's become kind of disaffected with life and re in relationships. Uh, that's a little bit more he, different yeah. because he work, runs a record show. In High Fidelity, John Cusick's life is kind of stalled. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in, in, in uh, Gross Point Blank, he, yeah. he's kind of continuing, but he doesn't know what direction he's heading or no. or if he should be getting going somewhere. No, I, I, but uh, again, it's very well grounded in this. I in you know this guy's search for meaning in his life and re confronting his past. Yeah. But then it's also a story about him trying to commit this assassination and stay alive and prevent yeah. himself from being yeah. captured. Yeah, there there are like I mean there are one or two little moments that. Again, when I say it, this is a fun movie, but not a fun film. Like, there are little things that, you know, again, because it's kind of having a lot of fun, it felt in, like, in some ways it felt like an old-time movie updated for the 90s. Like, Alan Arkin's character, there's no reason why he would, why he's his therapist. No. I mean, he admits outright, I've killed people. And Alan Arkin's just like, well, you know, I should, you know, I, I should report this to the cops, but I'm just going to sit here amused by this. And, and Alan Arkin, <laughs> he, he doesn't want to be his therapist. No, he keeps on, like, Cusack keeps calling him throughout the movie, and, like, he'll get up hearing the voice message about to come on, and when he hears his Cusack, it's just like, oh, I'm going to sit back down. <laughs> um, 
a lot of great lines. I wrote down a couple of them when, uh, all right, here's when we get into a spoiler. Are we clear on that? Spoiler? All right, spoiler. Okay, spoiler. Mini Driver discovers that he's a killer. Oh, yeah. Um, and when, you know, Cusack try, you know, goes to try to tell her about, you know, try to tell her things, and she's just like, I don't want to see you. Get out of my house. And he's just trying to explain things about himself and how he was brought in to, you know, to be a killer yeah. by the army. He says a line that almost sounds like a throwaway, but I just had to write down. The idea of governments and nations is a public uh, relations theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or also, um, I, he tells his therapist, I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just a constantly witty movie. You like seeing Cusack and Minnie Driver together. They feel like they have good chemistry. Yeah, like they, that, they do make a great screen couple. Right from the start, you know, you have them uh, in the scene where they're at the, the radio station and... He kind of puts, she puts him on the spot and has people calling in. Yeah. And also I, I, that thing where Hank Azaria calls in too, because yes. he's after him. Hank Azaria is like the, the NSA agent who's trying to catch him in the act. But even though, but even though he's trying to stay away, he's like, all right, let me call into the radio station. I'm going to see. Yeah. Him. It also highlights, you know, again, what's kind of something that grounds it in reality um, is, you know, this whole thing of, again, you probably had this a little bit when you went to your high school reunion, or you've had when you go to just social functions. Right. That awkwardness of seeing somebody that you haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you! You guy! <laughs> yeah. They should have had that moment in the movie, where, you know, they, you don't know they his had a, They had a few moments like that, where he did play it off pretty well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's a joke also that's been on Seinfeld, where it's like, oh, you... Uh, but um <laughs> but i've been in positions like that yeah and you can put yourself in that moment even though yeah you're not a professional killer actually i would almost say in an odd way like the the scenes well not not all the scenes but there's one scene in the convenience store that i felt just it was a little silly the shootout yeah i mean the way that it's framed around the guy who is playing on like the game and he's he has on Doom headphones. Too. He would hear that noise. Ah, who cares? Nah, nah, I, I could let it go. It was just, it was just a little silly. Okay. You know, it's like it's the moment where okay, we have to make this into, um, um, like he's doing this thing. I did kind of like the ending just because again, it's so like it gets a little crazy and Dan Aykroyd is just. Uh, and I laughed out loud very much at one particular point involving a television. Yes. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I didn't love the movie, but it, you know what it did, though? It made me miss a particular kind of movie that is kind of a rarefied, endangered species today, which is a middle-budget, clever comedy mm. that could be made like this. Like if you had a movie made like this today, it would be an independent film. Yeah. It would be something like uh uh like last year or a couple years ago I saw this movie called Violet and Daisy, which was about like these two girl hit men and hit girls. Hit yeah, so so to speak. And unfortunately the movie didn't really get seen very much, even though I had James Gandolfini and like if that movie had come out in the nineties like this, it probably would have gotten you know two thousand screens. Yeah, I mean so, it would have been like a mid level movie that would have made its money and get, gotten some profit and 
you know, then would have been done with. Yeah. So seeing it, it like it made me nostalgic for the nineties in like several ways, not just, you know, for the music, but, um, it also kind of made me see how John Cusack, um, and he's very good in this movie. Oh, you believe him as a hitman. Oh no, no, I do believe him. Yeah. He, he's, he can be pretty cold. He, he plays a lot of different emotions. It also made me realize he's kind of branched out a bit as an actor over the past few years. I mean, I talked about that movie, uh, Maps to the Stars, right. the last podcast. And in that movie, he's just like a total nut. Um, but here, it's like, oh yeah, there was a time where John Cusack was kind of this charming star of romantic comedies. Mm. And I would probably want to see a movie like this more than uh, you know, like one of those dumb Matthew McConaughey movies from like 10 years ago or something. <laughs> You know, just because the writing is there. Actually, I think John Cusack was one of the writers on the movie, too. Um, oh, yeah, and also, uh, like I said, uh, yeah, Hank Azaria is great. Um, there's a weird cameo with Jenna Elfman, and uh, that's pretty much it. All right. So, uh, if you want to see either of these movies, uh, and Slacker, by the way, if you have uh, Hulu Plus, it's available there right now. Um, you know, you know, check them out. And if you have any thoughts, send us an email, wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Wages of Cinema Podcast. All right. So if you're a young man or woman trying to think of how to approach your upcoming high school reunion, or if you're just uh, a guy who lives in a strange neighborhood and doesn't really understand the strangeness around you, check out one of these movies. Yeah. I'll leave it up to you to decide which one. Maybe because so. I'm good that way. Yeah. Um, all right, so when we come back, uh, our main subject of the day, come on, it's Star Wars. Yeah, it's Star Wars. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> 